0: Now let's turn again in our Bibles to the Gospel According to John, uh, where we've been uh, reading and studying these Sunday mornings, and we've come uh, today to John chapter 10 and the first half of the chapter. Uh, last Sunday in John chapter 9, we were thinking about uh, Jesus and this uh, amazing uh, healing miracle that he does. And I surmised, some of you will remember and never forgive me for saying that perhaps just think about the transformation that takes place in a blind man and surmised that perhaps the most famous blind man in the world was Andrea Bocelli. That may be true in the world, but it's clearly not true in St. Peter's where Stevie Wonder no less, is the most famous blind man in the world. But I was grateful to somebody for telling me that their mother would have agreed with me. (laughs) And also cheered by the individual who, um, I don't know whether he or she was embarrassed to tell me this, but they told me that they didn't realize that Botticelli was blind, by which of course they meant uh, Andrea Bocelli don't think Botticelli could have done what he did if he was blind. So with those corrections uh, recognized from last week, John chapter 10, truly, truly, I say to you, says Jesus, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. In this very interesting statement, because we all understand what he's talking about here, don't we? This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but he did not understand, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So maybe it's not so obvious after all. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and of other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, speaking about the Gentiles actually, and they too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We've been saying in our readings through John's gospel that John is the great portrait painter of and among the various authors in the New Testament. You you might say Paul is the great logician. Uh, you might say that Luke is the great historian. But above all of them, John, who contributes so much to the New Testament, is a great portrait painter. And in his two big books in the New Testament, he paints portraits of the Lord Jesus. Last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is essentially a great portrait of Jesus Christ's present ministry. It's a portrait of Jesus Christ's present ministry. And this gospel, well, it is a portrait of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. And as you read through these two big books, you notice that there are some similarities between them. John loves to uh, weave designs into his portraits. And in those designs, for a variety of reasons, he just loves the number seven. He just loves the number seven. You know, ministers and preachers love the number three, three points in a sermon. Other people, you know, they, they might like the whole notion of binary logic, and so they're always thinking in twos, and John likes to think in sevens. And indeed, the whole book of Revelation is structured around this number seven. It's written to seven churches, and then to those seven churches is sent this magnificent portrait of Jesus that is given to us in a series of seven different segments. And in in all of them, there there are seven kind of miniature segments. And so, the whole book of Revelation is structured around the number seven. That's not true of the gospel of John, but he still likes the number seven. And so, as you read through John's gospel, you notice that there are seven different signs that Jesus does, the greatest one being his own resurrection, and there are also seven different times where Jesus gives what's usually referred to as an I am saying. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, and here in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, and I am the door or the gate of the sheepfold. John doesn't structure his gospel that way, but he likes to weave into the tapestry this this sevenfold description of the Lord Jesus and one of the things he's doing by that is telling us, and in a way he's telling us this subliminally. Wouldn't really matter so much if you didn't notice that there are seven I am sayings, but he's saying to us subliminally, the most important thing about this gospel, and since what he thinks this message is is the most important message in the world. He's really saying to us, the most important question in all the world is this, who is Jesus and what is he actually like? And this is very important for him because John, John is not wanting to argue with us, as it were, purely on an intellectual level that the Christian faith is right or you should believe in the existence of God. Both of these things could be true and it make no difference to your life. He thinks the most important question in all the world is this double question, who is he? and what is he actually like? Those two questions go together, but they're not the same question, are they? I mean, you could ask about anybody, who is he, and, and get an answer, but then you would want to know the answer to this question. What is he actually like? This is, this is what John sees as his job. And actually, I think this is what John sees as the job of everyone who preaches and teaches. It is to take what we find in the Bible and say, do you see what Jesus is like? So that our response is to say, as we read, for example, John's gospel, or as we listen to Sam's, now I see what he's like. Now I see who he really is. And obviously, in the first section here in John chapter 10, he's really saying this about Jesus. Well, he's like a shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Um, Jesus, if he was anything in terms of what he did before he was 30, was probably a carpenter, not a shepherd. But he lived in a world where shepherds were Well, they were everywhere. We might have a tendency when we read this passage to think in terms of modern shepherds and modern sheep farms. That's probably not what Jesus was speaking about here. There were sheep farms, but he's probably not speaking about sheep farms here. He's probably speaking here about home life and village life. And he describes what happens in village life here. Uh, every family. Well, of course, every family is likely to have a few sheep. You don't go and hire a shepherd to look after a few sheep. I mean, these are part of your basic economy. So, what do you do? Well, your family, your extended family who live round the corner or next door, then uh, one of the family members serves as the shepherd. And uh, you don't have a large farm. What you've got is a house and and a ground floor. And on the on the ground floor, or in some kind of area around the ground floor of the house, that's where the animals are. That's where the sheep are. And what happens? One of the family in the morning. It might be your nephew. It might be your cousin. I can even imagine that in Jesus' case, he himself at times fulfilled this role, knocks at the door, wakens up the sheep, leads them out, gets them fed, brings them home, or sometimes has to lead them further out of the village so that they can find pasture, and so there's an overnight stay, and at that point, Probably they've got these kind of makeshift places around the village, perhaps 10 hours' journey away, like bothies in Scotland. Uh, but uh, at that point, because you're in dangerous territory, uh, whoever it is in the family who's serving as the shepherd, he has to put his, his body in the way, and he becomes the gate, the door. And this is the picture that Jesus is painting. The people to whom he spoke, I think, would have been so familiar with this that that, uh, unlike ourselves, uh, we wouldn't need these pictures explained to us to be able to understand why there are these kind of sudden transitions from uh, what happens when the shepherd arrives and calls the sheep out by name, and then what happens later on when when the shepherd is the gate of the sheep. I think if you'd been Jesus' contemporary, you'd have been able to move very easily from these two pictures. But unless we understand these are two pictures, then there can be some very confusing things about what Jesus is saying here. So what is it that Jesus is essentially saying here? There's a domestic picture, and then there's a, there's a pastoral picture. The domestic picture is the shepherd getting the sheep up and out in the morning. The rural pastoral picture is of Jesus as the shepherd who serves as the gate in order to save and protect the life of the sheep. So, what is Jesus like? Well, uh, there are two simple ways in which he tells us what he's like. In the first, he describes the shepherd's work Of course, Jesus isn't just thinking about uh, shepherding and sheep. He uses this language because this is one of the Old Testament's big descriptions of God. We were just singing it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and so on this is one of the reasons why at the end of this passage people are saying i think the man is demon possessed he's out of his mind do you, do you hear what he's saying he's taking i mean think of it he's taking the 23rd psalm and saying that's me that's me i am that good shepherd well, what is it that the good shepherd does But Jesus describes it by by way of contrast. He says, there are others who have come before I came, but they've been thieves and robbers. Actually, for all practical purposes, he's describing people we encountered in the previous chapter who discover that this blind man from birth has been given sight, and they end throwing him out of the synagogue because… because Jesus worked on the Sabbath day and made paste, and this man is associating with Jesus. And Jesus describes them. He says, they're thieves and robbers. They're only interested in their own positions of power and authority, and they're protecting them. But he says, by way of contrast, I am the good shepherd. And he uses this beautiful analogy, this picture with which they were all familiar. Even if they were carpenters, they were familiar with this picture because it was such a domestic picture of what would happen every single morning when whoever it was in the wider family circle or in the house would would knock at the door and say, it's time, and uh, the door would be opened. And then he would call out the sheep and they'd all seen this. They'd all seen that because there were so few sheep, whoever was the shepherd knew each sheep by name. That's an odd thing to us because we don't keep sheep in the house, but some of you have dogs and cats. You don't just call them cat or dog or number one. You, you give them names. And it never strikes us as being odd. They're not human beings. You know, the the only pets we ever had in our house were budgies, and and they had names as well. Peter and Polly. (laughs) And chasing around the house with fishing nets to catch them. And when they become part of the family, you give them names. And the good shepherd knows the sheep by name and he calls out the sheep by name. And then he says they recognize his voice. We're used to that. Peter and Polly even recognize their voice sometimes. Come down, Peter, fly away, Polly, or Jeff, or whoever your dog is, and you might have named your dog after David Robertson for all I know. They named dogs after John Calvin in Geneva at the time of the Reformation, so why not? And you see the picture he's, he's beginning to weave before them, and they follow him because they trust him and he leads them out, and he provides pasture, he actually says he, he, he gives them a kind of abundant life. And it's, it's just think about this, the 23rd Psalm in the background, the green pastures, the way he even leads them through valleys of deep darkness, the way he restores their life. And Jesus is saying, this, this is God's own picture that I'm applying to myself of who I really am, and who you will discover me to be if you hear my voice and trust me. And it really is a great description of what it means to become a Christian, isn't it? Um, those of us who are Christians, we can, we can see the points of analogy between what Jesus says here about the shepherd and his sheep and our own experience. Because for so many of us, when it all started, we were actually fast asleep. And then there was this voice. You know what it's like, you remember, you know, what it's like as a kid when your mother or father tells you to get up, and, and uh, it, it, it's just like a, it, there's a noise out there, and, and perhaps even, you even have you sometimes done this, it's all become like part of the dream you are having before you wake up, and you don't realize what's happening, but there's something, there is something there you're asleep and you're being called to awaken. And actually, the old-time Christians in the past used to speak about the first thing that happens in somebody's life before they come to faith in Jesus Christ as they are awakened. You know David's book on the 1830s and 40s in this church? Awakening. It's exactly what it's like. And it's then there is a voice that, that draws us because it seems to be calling us by name. I mean, think of the obvious picture in the Old Testament of this as young Samuel, isn't it? Fast asleep in the temple, and then he's, he's wakened up by this voice, and he, he, he goes to old Eli. He says, did you call me Samuel, Samuel? Eli says, no, go back to sleep. Happens again, back to sleep. Then it dawns on the old man, what's happening here? something so real is happening in this boy's life that he actually can't tell the difference between the reality of this call that he is receiving from the Lord and old Eli's voice. And that's how it is. So many. It happens in so many different ways. In the Bible, it happens in so many different ways. I was thinking when David spoke about being up in the gallery this morning, why would I go up into the gallery? I might want to go up into the gallery for the same reason Zacchaeus went up into the tree, A, to be able to see what is going on, and B, to see if there was anywhere I could hide so that nobody could see that I was uh, wanting to know what was going on, because I didn't even know what was happening in my own life. And I guess if we had all day, we could just call one and another up and and say, tell me about the time when you didn't know what was happening in your life, but now you realize it was the voice of Jesus beginning to call you. And he does it in so many different ways, doesn't he? Sometimes it's just like all of a sudden, these words that are such a jumble to us in the Bible, they become interesting. I remember a friend telling me about a young man who had started coming around their church and uh, he then wanted to come into membership and the the elders wanted to know if he had had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they said, well, tell us your story. He said, you know, I started coming here and the hymns were so bad and the, the readings, they didn't make sense. And then he pointed to my friend, the minister, he said, your sermons were too long and they were too dull. But I don't know what's happened to this church in the last six months. The readings are so interesting. The, the hymns you're choosing, the good hymns now, and even your sermons have got so much better. And you see, the wisdom not to kind of bang him into the ground because they understood what had happened to him. The shepherd had come. The voice had been heard. He, he didn't yet understand what was happening to him, but he had recognized the shepherd's voice calling him and he had followed the shepherd. And he just made the mistake of thinking that everybody else was out of step, but he was the one who had been out of step. And so, this is a beautiful description of how it actually happens. We are asleep. Indeed, we are dead in our sins, the New Testament says. And then, the voice of jesus might be through some christian that we know might be through some circumstance in our lives might be through an almost happenstance visit to a church might be in a thousand different ways and we we don't know what it is but it's like that moment between being dead asleep and, and kind of coming into consciousness and then coming into the full light of day and realizing what's happening to you. A very beautiful thing. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's speaking to them about the work that he does as the shepherd so that we hear his voice. And although we don't know what it is or who it is, it seems to become stronger and clearer. And then we rise and we follow him and he leads us throughout the whole course of his life. Could be a happenstance, could be a person, could be a sermon, could be just a new interest in The Bible could be a tragedy, could be an event of great happiness. And it's only later you realize that the shepherd had come. It was time for the shepherd to come to you, to call you, to awaken you. And there would be some people would say it was almost before I even knew it. I was trusting him and following him and loving him. And he was providing for me everything that he needed. Well, we've run out of time, and that's only the first point, but it's a very important point, isn't it? We need to go on to ask, tell me more about yourself, Jesus, and why I should follow you. And the answer he gives, of course, is this because I laid down my life for the sheep. I laid down my life for the sheep. You, he does it voluntarily. He says it. No, no one takes my life from me. I do it voluntarily. For sheep. For sheep. I wonder if there is a shepherd in Scotland who would voluntarily, deliberately say, as far as I am concerned, this sheep is more important than my life. But that's what Jesus said. What a word that is to you if you feel wasted and nobody really cares. What a word that is if you feel life is just full of confusion. What a word that is if you feel that you don't know about the way of head, what a a word that is if if you don't know who can be trusted. What a word that is if you are one of those people who could honestly say, hand on my heart, I don't think anyone in the world in all my life has really loved me. Don't you see that that could be part of the whole awakening of your life to someone who has loved you? So much that he's died for you, died for your guilt and your shame and your spiritual deadness, bring you forgiveness and new life and a new direction and a new future and ultimately home to glory. That's what it means when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I want to say to you, there is actually nothing more important in your life. Whether you're a Christian or not, there is no more important question in the world than this question What is he really like? Because when you know what he is really like, you know you can trust him to be your Saviour, to be your Master, to be your friend, to be your guide. To be your everything, so dear ones, let's trust him for the very first time, the thousandth time. Let's uh, let's be able to say not only he is the good shepherd, but the Lord is my good shepherd. Our heavenly Father. We thank you for the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the way in which he has come and called us, for the way we discover, although it's uncomfortable, that he knows us by name and he knows our nature, and for the amazing discovery that we make in the gospel that although he knows who we are and what we are like, he has come to die for us. And risen again to be with us and to call us and to be with us forever. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. We come to you, Lord Jesus, to trust you. We believe. Help our unbelief. We are in the dark. Bring us into the light. We are dead. Give us life. We are fearful. Give us peace, but show us more and more of what you are really like and help us to trust you. We pray this in your name. Amen.